At uncontrolled airspace in the virtual hangar, the pilots were chatting, but then heard a bang or a noise of some kind from behind the tool shelf. Twas a man dressed in red, a quite jolly old elf. He opened his pack, and he flashed them a look, and he rummaged around, and he pulled out a book. The pilots all hoped there was something for them. They begged, Santa, look in your pack once again. Did you bring me a gadget? An avgas container? He said, no, you've been bad. I've brought just the disclaimer. But Santa Claus smiled as he read to them there his message of wisdom and safety and care. The UCAP members, those wise old flyers, are speaking their very own thoughts and desires. The folks whom they work with might not feel the same, and that is all right. No one is to blame. The stories they tell and advice, while terrific, you take them as general and never specific. When you're in your plane and pilot in command, keep all of your training right there close at hand. Assess your own situation that day and fly your own airplane just like my sleigh. And they heard him exclaim as he flew out of sight, But you knew that already, so have a good flight. Man, that's a list. It is a list. Big yeah. list. We're not, we're not going to get through half of that. Oh, we'll get through half of it, but whether we get through more than half is a question. <laughs> <laughs> we're not going to take the middle half. Oh, get that's a through half of it. <laughs> I really wonder about the Google Air Force thing. Yeah, but I need... Google Air Force. always need something light. That's just such a great scam they worked. Yeah. All right. uh, Well, you know, if you got it, flown it, but... uh, um, Great scam. Well, (laughs) yeah, I mean, how much of a scam is it, really? Yeah? My question is, do they have the open? All right, wait a minute. One at a time, Jeb. My question is, do they have any openings for someone with my background? Yeah. Well, you can fly one of these airplanes. You see these airplanes they've got? Well, this is two years ago. This is two years ago that this deal got done, and they're supposed to put, and they're only now getting around to sort of discovering, oh, we can't put the equipment on board. So all this time, I don't get it. Yeah. It's a scam. Yeah, it's a scam. It was they, just a so covering. all this time, though, they've been flying without the electronic gear on any of those airplanes that this whole deal was supposed to be predicated on. Maybe it was going to be STC. It was going to be STC for a pitcher to be named at a future date. What gear talking about? What scientific gear? Well, exactly is being installed here. And, uh, Did they even know was there, how far was this, or was this just, you know, pure out and out, ah, bring the plane, you know, we'll figure it out later. Why don't they just, you know, like, that's what it sort of sounds they like. They just get one of these gadgets and they just yoke mount it, you know, just, like, clamp it to the yoke. That way it doesn't yeah. require the paperwork, but it but it makes it a scientific vessel. I don't know. And, uh, and, and nobody... Of, and all these brilliant people at Google and their flight department and Moffett Field, and nobody thought, hmm, 
you know, the FAA might have some say in this if we're going to be reconfiguring these aircraft with electronic gear that no doubt is going to have to stick out somewhere. Holes are going to have to be cut, et cetera, et cetera. See, hey, uh, you know, <laughs> my guess is what a great scam. My guess had. is they, that both they, the Google they, people and the and the Moffat people <laughs> sort of wanted this to happen, so they were letting it slide. I bet it was somebody in the community, kind of, you know, rang a bell and raised a flag. Uh, oh said, yeah, I, someone, I someone dropped the time. They, yeah, I keep wondering <laughs> if the Google people just didn't think it was a software patch. Yeah. <laughs> no, here's my part of the, here's the part of the story that catches my eye. So it says, uh, oh, I'm looking at the wrong one here. Where is the Google story? Um, it talks about how much the Google airplanes actually use Moffett Airfield. It says others have worried about increased yeah. noise, but Moffett spokesman said Google planes accounted for only 88 of the more than 19,000 movements at the field last year. All right, so let's do a little arithmetic here. They apparently have four They have four aircraft here. According to this article, this story, this is from AvWeb, they have a 767, a 757, and two Gulfstreams. So they got four airplanes. If you just kind of oh, average it out, little. that's 22 <laughs> movements per year per airplane. And if a movement uh -huh. is both a takeoff and a landing... No, no, no. What? Yeah, all right. Yes. Right, so yeah, so you've got right, movement sorry. is both takeoffs and landings count as one movement. Yep. All right, so as a result, they've got they're basically doing two trips a month in each of these aircraft. Uh, I, I don't think a takeoff and landing are counted as one movement. So even if even if it no, counts, no, the movement, movement is either a takeoff or right. a landing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so there were forty. But Jack, they took Jack. All right, hang on. Guys, guys. Yeah. One at a time. What you're overlooking here is that they, you know, can move the uh, move an airplane out of Moffat to some other airport and fly the shit out of it. Yeah, right? but yeah. that's but right. But the whole the whole point of but, this but, was but, that they want to base them in and out of Moffat because it's right next to their their campus, right. their offices. Yeah, um, I mean, but planes could be dispatched. I mean, I'm sure they're flying without the you know the heads that there. You know, in uh, San Jose, flying aboard from from headquarters, so they they likely are flying much more than this number of operations would indicate. I would think so. Just not out of Moffat Field. Yeah, just right. not out of Moffat. Yeah, right. uh, no, like like the man said, it, it could leave Moffat Field and put on a couple of dozen hours and right. you know, mm -hmm. and, a, and a dozen other takeoff and landing cycles without coming back to Moffat Field. Who knows? Mm -hmm. well, I still want to know what electronics to gear there. You're <laughs> really coming back to this, huh? <laughs> really, I am. Because, you know, for one thing, I mean, they can always put it in the experimental category and do anything they want, although, you no, know. Then they can't carry, but then they can't carry the passengers, right? Well, they can carry passengers. They, they, it depends on, on the, on the uh, experimental category they put it in. Yeah. Uh, the, most most of the uh, available categories, you know, probably cannot carry passengers. But if you got, you know, racks and racks and racks of equipment, you probably don't want any passengers. Oh, it's, I don't think they were going to do anything that was going to interfere with what those airplanes are all about. Anything that would really interfere with the even cabin aesthetics. I thought it would be sort of like. You know, yeah. some kind of back scratching thing. Like we'll do, put a th no, thermography camera in a belly or something. You know, you know. It just occurred to me that they may have been planning on carrying that highly experimental Defense Department 
gullibility detector. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'd be willing to bet. I'd be willing to bet that we have a listener who works at Google, uh, and uh, if so, we want to hear from that listener. Uh, either either officially or anonymously, uh, we want to hear from a listener who can explain to us a little bit more about the so-called Google Air Force, or at least their Google Flight Department, because it sounds cool. Just, I mean, forget the whole. Did, you know, did, what did you spell that Air Force or with an A? Air what? Air Air Force? Air? No no, 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 that would never happen here. Yeah, right. Okay. Well, on that, that note, get, get well, through our. Welcome, folks, to episode 112 of Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. We are recording this episode on Thursday evening, December 12th, 2008. And uh, let me say hi to the gang here in the virtual hangar. Uh, one of those voices out there is uh, Dave Higdon, who's talking to us from Wichita, Kansas. Hi, David. How you doing? Oh, doing good. The snow's almost gone. Yeah, I, this, this weather is going to... I'm sorry, folks. Just kind of hit the fast-forward button now, because we're going to talk about weather for a few minutes here. Um, just real quick and dirty. Because... Monday, it was 60. Yeah. Tuesday, Tuesday, it was 20 at 8 a.m., and had been uh, precipitating just long enough for the sheet streets to go sheet ice. Yeah. And, and it snowed an inch and a half. And Sedgwick County... Kansas, the home of the air capital of the world, has such brilliant driving talent <laughs> that, in, that in 18 hours, they recorded 650-plus auto accidents. <laughs> yeah. Yep. From I that can little, bit of, little bit of snow and ice. Yeah, I can imagine. And friends of mine, friends of mine left, uh, left uh, uh, Colonel James Jabara Airport. And uh, uh, Augusta Municipal Airport, four points south, and had to greatly modify their flight plans, partly because of the precipitation coming down here, uh, but more because of a front that stretched from uh, south central Texas, south uh, Texas, all the way up into Chicago, and had tornado warning areas along the southern edge of it and so they kind of went by way of waco where they were going direct alabama direct to fort lauderdale area they decided instead to go waco and then decatur alabama and once they got past the end of the storm they picked up enough tailwind to go direct to fort lauderdale uh i gotta tell you my shorts would have been in a knot at taken off in the freezing precip that was yeah. coming down there what, while. what kind of airplane was this uh, one of them uh, left in a uh, Mooney with TKS, ice, anti-ice system on them, mm-hmm. and the other one left in a Malibu with boots. And both of them waited until late enough in the day, uh, early afternoon, that the precipitation, that the, everything was so cold that the precipitation was coming down solid wow. in, in, in content. It was no longer partially liquid where it would hit a cold surface and freeze. And I don't know if anybody's flown in snowstorms like we've unfortunately done a couple of times, but if your airframe's sub-freezing and you're flying in sub-freezing air and the snow is sub-freezing, it don't stick. Yeah, you're golden. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're golden. You're good to go. Yeah. It's really counterintuitive. Yeah. And it will it will pucker your BVDs for a while, uh, but it works. And that's what they did. <clears throat> And I'm sorry. Okay, we have a candidate. We have a candidate for the title of this night's episode: puckered BVDs. BVDs. Right. <laughs> Anyways, also here in the panger is uh, Jeb Burnside, who's talking to us from uh, Sarasota, Florida, where it's always sunny and beautiful. Right, Jeb? 
Always, not always. To, Actually, not, we got not a little, today. Uh, not today, right? Yeah, yeah. We, we had a little uh, uh, rain and wind, uh, but it's all blown through, and the temperatures dropped about ten or fifteen degrees. Aww. And I was outside just a few minutes ago. The stars are shining. This the moon is glowing, uh, and the windshield is what sixty. It's maybe sixty-two. <laughs> Poor baby. With the windshield. I know. You know, that sounds like a name of a TV show. It's always sunny in Sarasota. <laughs> it's always sunny in Sarasota. That's right. right. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm kind of glad to see this go through, actually, because it was, it was very humid yesterday and last night. But uh, we're back to, uh, you know, the typical uh, winter weather here. I might have to put on a long-sleeve shirt tomorrow. Aww. Oh, man. You have our sympathy. <laughs> I understand. I, I appreciate that, Dave. I, uh, I sincerely do. Also with us on the hangar this evening is James Winbrandt, and who's talking? You're still in New York, right? I'm still in New York. Still and, in New York, uh, I'm and afraid uh, the weather's not very nice here. Yeah, and uh, it's. Uh, so you're getting the cat prepped for the annual uh, migration south. I have to tell you, my cat has this season spent the the summer months down in Florida. So I am eager to see her and to have our reunion. So I'm looking forward and to that. She'll, she'll take one look at you, turn up her nose, and go, and, and who are you again? That's right. Yeah. No, I think, I, I actually think she's missed me, so. Well, good. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So, anyways. I'll be, going back to the, I'll be going back to the same place, so I don't have to worry that she'll be disoriented. And she has been uh, staying with a friend of mine who actually knew her before I did. Mm-hmm. So they go back a long way. Yeah. Does well, I'm she... glad to hear she didn't go catatonic. <laughs> now, all does right, she... All right, stop. Yeah, stop, no, stop. I'm not even going to go there. And I'm Jack Hodgson, and I'm, talk- and I'm talking to you tonight from, uh, from rainy, gray Tallahassee, Florida, where, uh, you know, it's, it's like... still raining there? Life, oh, that's right. Oh, yeah. it's raining like crazy. Uh, it's raining like crazy here. It's been raining. It's just, uh-huh. you know, so they told me about a week ago, out of the blue, they said, Jack, we need you to go to Florida. And I said, um, Okay. Because, you know, it was nine degrees in Boston. And uh, so I'm figuring, oh, I'm going to Florida. I'm going to get three days in Florida. It's going to be a nice little respite. So on Monday morning, just as, you know, the same kind of weather system Dave was referring to, it was, uh, well, on, on uh, let's see now, what day did I travel? I traveled on uh, Wednesday. So on Tuesday, it was like nine degrees in New England. All right. But then we woke up. We woke up Wednesday morning at like five o'clock, three o'clock in the morning because I had a really early flight. And I woke up and looked at the thermometer. It was like fifty degrees at three a.m. All right. And by the time I got to the airport, uh, Manchester, where I was flying out of commercial, uh, it was like sixty. But it was rainy and overcast. So it's sixty degrees, rainy and overcast. I get on the airplane. I'm going to Florida. We did. A, I did changed airplanes in Charlotte. All right, where the weather was rainy, overcast, and sixty degrees. And I eventually arrived in Tallahassee, Florida, where the weather was rainy, overcast, and 60 degrees. So I got like 60 degree express. Yeah, I got no benefit. Something about you, Jack, that just pisses us off. Well, that's what one of the that's what one of the listeners that's one of our listeners said in the forum. One of the listeners said in the forum that Amy and Jeb are going to blame me for bringing this weather south with me, and uh, so. Uh, so Jack, you flew into uh, Tallahassee. Tallahassee on U.S. Airways. It's not like I flew, but you okay. Know, so did you see the the ghost of the Eclipse facility there? No, is there? Such, I didn't realize there was such a thing here. Really? Yeah, they had a service center. Yeah, I, I guess they I, didn't. Yeah. That wasn't there. I guess Gainesville was actually their bigger. Gainesville yeah. was a big one. 
Interesting. Yeah. Well, there was know, some they, sort they, of incident. They, they there was may not have gotten a big sign up yet. You yeah. Know? I actually, I, I haven't looked in the last 24 hours. There was some sort of aircraft, air, small airplane incident on the runway as I was waiting. I, I arrived in mid-morning, and I had to wait around an hour for one of my colleagues to arrive on another flight. And uh, I, I was just kind of sitting in the terminal and looked out the window at some point and noticed a, a small plane. It was kind of far away. I couldn't quite make it out. It looked like some sort of Cherokee class, you know, kind of low-wing you know, prop, mm-hmm. you know, four-seater kind of airplane that was sort of off the far side of the runway, possibly with its gear retracted. Couldn't quite tell whether it was on its gear or not. Uh-huh. And uh, the fire truck was there, and there were a couple other emergency vehicles there. And as I'm watching, a couple others pull up, and uh, couldn't quite figure out what that was all about. I took a couple pictures from a great distance that really didn't show very much, but. Uh, um, and then I did some Google searching that afternoon to try and figure out mm. what it was all about and couldn't find any incident at uh, Tallahassee. When, when was this? This, this was, was Wednesday? Uh, Wednesday morning. So this would have been around around uh, 10, around 11 o'clock uh, Wednesday morning, Tallahassee, which is like TLH. Or yeah. Well, they have a nice FBO there. Do they? I spent uh, yeah, I spent a few hours there waiting out actually some convective activity while I was uh, trying to get down to Venice. Hmm. Yeah. It's it seems like a nice area. This is what they call. I was so I'm in the airplane flying down. And I'm reading the little uh, U.S. Airways book in the in the seat pocket, and there happens to be a special section on Tallahassee. So I'm reading about Tallahassee. And Tallahassee, in its little PR blurb, describes itself as being in the in Florida's hill country, which made me laugh. <laughs> That's funny. The hill country, huh? But it is apparently this is this is the area. Remember, we talked about this a while ago. This is the area where the highest point in Florida is located. Yeah, and and it is. Yes. I mean, it's There's... not flat. I mean, it does. It is kind of rolling country down here, and. Uh, the uh, state, the state house, which is sort of near where I'm staying, is is at the top of a big hill. Maybe, I mean, certainly a, a high point for the area. I don't know whether it's the high point, but uh, but this is Tallahassee. We it's better not- talk about aviation pretty soon, or people are going to just kind of like the the fast well, forwarding we, thing. We, could- we, we talked about I the Google uh, Air Force. Yeah, we did, uh, but but we got to get out. Of this I'm going to confuse that for the rest of the night. Air Force or Air Force? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Oh well. <laughs> Anyways. What else is going on? Oh, I know what we need to do. Now, and, and all kidding aside, uh-huh. I'm very, very... I'm sorry, what are you going to say, Jeb? I was going to say, what do we need to do? We need to talk about something um, that's kind of serious, kind of uh, very important to us, kind of really close to our heart. Um, of course, we celebrated our 100th episode um, a few weeks back, uh-huh. and uh, we got a lot of, of really heartfelt thanks from a lot of our friends and, and uh, fellow podcasters and whatnot. One of the congratulations we received back at that time was um, extremely touching. Um, it was a, a, a photograph that was made special for us uh, f- uh, from Tom Poberesny at uh, Experimental Aircraft Association um, and uh, from our friend Charlie Becker, um, a longtime listener over there. And just incredibly touching gesture for them to take note of this, uh, this milestone for us. Um, it, I mean, I just can't say how, how you know, gratified I am by this whole thing. And, I, and we, we sort of reached out to them privately and, and, and passed along our thanks to them at the time. We sort of, in a maybe 
ill-advised move, decided to hold off thanking them on the podcast for a really bizarre reason, and that was that of the, the so they sent each of us a copy of this autographed photograph, and uh, and only two of us received it right away. The, a third one of us didn't get it right away, and we said, okay, let's just wait until the third one arrives. That way, we can all have actually seen it before. Gee, we... Would that have been the gypsy on staff? <laughs> yeah. So so we were yeah. going to wait until oh, yeah. we received the third photograph before thanking on 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 the podcast. The problem is it got completely lost in the post office, and we were tracking it down. And then we and then um, Charlie and Tom arranged to get another copy sent out to the to replace the one that was lost, which finally arrived the other day. So now all three of us have seen this this incredibly touching gesture, this 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 thing that that I know I'll prize mine forever. And yes. uh, and so now that we've all had a chance to see this, kind of belatedly, but but with no less you know sense of gratitude, just thanks to uh, to Tom and Charlie and all of our friends at EAA for this this thing this this gesture very uh, awesome. uh, very surprising very awesome very humbling and uh, very very yeah, much appreciated yeah. yeah it's very yeah. appreciated and uh, had an opportunity to uh, uh, thank Tom in person and have thanked uh, Charlie by email and look forward I hope hopefully sometime in the near future rather than long term future to thank him in person and hopefully buy him a beverage and in, 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 as a small token of my gratitude, our gratitude. Yeah. But yeah. very, 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 very nice guys. Uh, my copy has a prominent place in my office where nobody who visits fails to notice it and ask mm-hmm. about it. Kind of go, wow, cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's very, very nice. Yeah. Thank you. We really appreciate cool. it. What's um, next? Before we, go, before we go any further, yeah. you mentioned uh, an aircraft off the runway. Oh yeah! Did you find something? What does it say? I did find something. It's um, it was a PA thirty two. Um, can't tell if it was retractable or the fixed gear version. This is just from the FAA prelim, uh, November six two three Sierra November. On landing, aircraft veered off the left side of the runway at Tallahassee Regional Airport, Tallahassee, Florida. No injuries. That's all it really says. And is this from the NTSB database? Is that no? This is from the FAA. FAA. That's yeah, interesting. FAA. It says it, it veered yeah. off the left side. The way uh-huh. it was sitting, the way I saw it, it was it was it, it appeared to have gone off the right side of the runway. Is my point. I wonder if it, it spun might, more than one hundred degrees. Yeah, 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 it might turn yeah, more than one hundred degrees. But uh, that's interesting. So can't tell from this again if it was retractable or fixed gear, or, or if there was any any damage or anything like that. But it, it's categorized as an incident. Okay, uh, well, I believe a thirty-two is the thirty-twos uh, uh, come in Seneca. retract and uh, no thirty-twos are Cherokee sixes. Thirty-twos uh, yeah. come in retract and and fixed gear versions. Uh, Thirty-four is the Seneca. Hmm. Ah, okay, okay. That's interesting. I sit corrected. Yeah. Sit corrected. <laughs> so now, now, from don't, your experience, how much, how much more will, is this, the, if it's just an incident, will there, there won't be any full-blown NTSB, you know, report on this, right? Or how does that work? Um, well, that's not probably possible you because. you got a uh, problem. The FAA is characterizing I mean, it as an incident. That doesn't necessarily mean it is an incident as opposed to an accident. It could well be an accident under the NTSB definition. Further, um, once the aircraft is, you know, this was just done a day or so ago, 
uh, this report was just entered a day or so ago. Once the aircraft is assessed and inspected, they might find other damage that would make it right. an accident on okay. those grounds. Yep. So it, it likely will appear um, uh, in the NTSB database um, maybe in a week to 10 days. Interesting. Dave, but, what were you going to say? Correct me. Or J- there or is no James. Need, Go ahead, in an James. incident, there is absolutely no need for the FAA to be notified. Yeah, show, you have show an me an incident at a large airport like that, well, where right, you wind up shutting sharp. down a runway briefly. James, show me where it says the FAA has to be notified at all. I, I'm just saying they don't. Yeah. Yeah. Accident okay. or incident is my point, though. Yeah. Oh. Well, now answer me this. I, I don't even know this. I should have. Is is Tallahassee a a, a, a Charlie airport? Oh, yeah. It is. Oh, yeah. Char- Tallahassee has a Charlie. It's a Charlie yeah. airport. Yeah. Okay. All right. I wasn't yeah. sure. It's because it, it's not a very big airport. I mean, it's, uh, you know, I presume I, it's either a Charlie. I know it's a, I know it's a Delta. I know it's not a Bravo, but it could be one of those, you know, bastard children that still has a Tursa. Let me go research. Yeah. Yeah. All right. You look that up. We're going to move on to the next thing here. Yeah. Yeah. I okay. have it's state capital, so yeah. you know that it's got some sort of profile. I I feel moved to explain to our listeners that this is what you're hearing tonight on the podcast is not a recurrence of of Dave's internet problems. It's actually last week. <laughs> it's okay. It doesn't sound terrible, but it is a little choppy, and I apologize for that. Um, and it's it's uh, what it almost certainly is. Um, last week I was had the world's worst hotel internet connection and sad to say this week i have pretty much the second worst connection so it's 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 the my connection that's causing this to be a little bit choppy and uh and ironically now, it was, wait a minute. ironically it sounded it better last, last week. week it sounded better last week yeah because uh because amy did the recording all right and amy was on a good connection down in this is technical stuff that most people won't care about but because amy was doing the recording it sounded great but this week i'm doing the recording at the end of a bad internet connection so it's sounding a little choppy that's sort of enough said on that subject but i'm not hearing i'm not hearing the chop here so that's because the choppiness is only through my connection see that's the problem and uh, anyways uh speaking of choppiness before we go any further tallahassee is a class charlie airport class charlie airport okay uh someone uh pointed uh us to an interesting uh, bit of video on the net, um, which is... That was me. It seems to be a clip from um, a longer documentary uh, that that documented uh, the entire flight of a uh, Virgin Airlines, or whatever they call it, Virgin Airways 747. Um, and the the clip that I'm, I looked at was the the approach and landing into uh, San Francisco, um, and it was pretty cool to see the procedures as they as they arrived in the area and working the checklists and talking to each other and doing callouts and and you know talking to ATC. It was pretty interesting. I thought. I don't know. Did you guys get yeah. a chance to take a look at it? I, I looked at it. I looked at all three of them. There's uh, kind of in reverse order the approaches. The first on the page, and then. Uh, uh, taxi out and take off, and then uh, the first one, of course, is pre-flight and engine start. Uh, one of the things that struck me was the captain of this flight is obviously uh, a good bit younger than the first officer, mm-hmm. and and I just I, it, it's just curious it's just a curiosity to me. 
Uh, but the production is is production qualities are very very well done. It's obviously something that uh, Virgin Airways, uh, um, I won't say sponsored, but uh, approved, uh, blessed, approved, and, and coordinated, and everything like that. Um, it's just quite good, and uh, it's, it's rare to see that kind of. Uh, uh, intrusion, if you will, into a, a, a heavy iron cockpit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Now, from the exterior shots, that looked to be like the ultimate stretch version of the 747 because the a, hump thing. It's, it, a, it it's is, a dash it, 400. A yeah. 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 It's a 747 400. That's the that's the two pilot version. But now they're going to be making the 800, right? Right. The uh, 747-8X is uh, going to be bigger. Mm-hmm. It's going to be bigger. It's entailed quite a uh, a, a bit of reengineering. This is assuming uh, that Boeing ever manages to do a different a new airplane again. Uh, poor Boeing is just really having a hard time right now. And then, well, you know, Airbus had the, had a tussle with the 380, and, mm-hmm. and I don't think the jury's really come in yet on the 380. So, but yeah, Boeing's had a tough time with the uh, with the um, uh, Dreamliner or the 787. Um, and they yesterday or today just put out a press release saying that it was going to be what second calendar quarter of '09 before the first flight, first deliveries in the first calendar quarter of, of 2010. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you know something, the the people taking these deliveries could not be happier. Yeah, I'm just well, that, I mean, and this I is think the that's perfect lo- time. Yeah, this is the perfect time for uh, you know suddenly. We had to shut down production. Right. Well, and Boeing gave gave reasons that uh, you know trying to come to a new contract with his machinists and mm-hmm. and also said something about having to replace some fasteners. I think the fasteners thing is the real is the big story. I, I want to hear more about the fasteners thing, but ultimately, I think what's going on here, and they're not going to say anything for for fear of their stock tanking, but all their customers. Excuse me. All their customers are saying, "Hey, you know, if this, you know, was six months, nine months down the road, it wouldn't bother us a bit, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> and it's probably not bothering Boeing a bit no. to to no. postpone some of this." Um, there's, there's, everybody's there's, there's taking good, a powder on sides. these days. Yeah, David, there's go good ahead. sides to bad. There's good sides and bad sides to this for Boeing and the customers, and there's not many good sides for Boeing. Uh, a lot of customers were counting on the increased capacity and the promised dramatically lower seat mile costs of this aircraft uh, in in use for uh, as a replacement for 767s that don't carry as much and cost 20 to 25 percent more per seat mile to operate. So the uh, the, the you know yeah if 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 they're hurting for money to do this, but uh, in the, in the land of airline it's... operations, these things are seldom planned out uh, with the, the things cut quite that close to the bone. And uh, I have no doubt that some of the operators out there are wishing that they already had their 8.7s because be. they'd be making money on flights now where they're just breaking even. Well, now, wait a minute. With, with the huge decline in fuel prices and the fact that you don't have uh, that suddenly a demand is uh, falling off the cliff and it seems to be accelerating. I, you know, I don't think they're getting hurt so bad by not having to put rate, get capital right now to put into new aircraft that, you know, again, given the prices of fuel that are now back to God knows how many years back you'd have to go. Uh, even, even at lower demand, though, lower operating costs is lower operating costs. Mm-hmm. 
you know, it costs you pretty much the same thing per flight to run it across a route, whether you've got, you know, 1% or 100% of the seats filled in the great scheme of things. Of course, there's a little variation there because of how much less fuel it might take at lighter weight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But overall, lower operating cost is lower operating cost. And to, as a replacement for some of the old 767 300 ERs that are out there, that even though the fuel price is back down to you know something approaching sane, they'd still be burning a lot less of that sanely priced fuel, which mm-hmm. could go farther toward their bottom line. So well, at the same time, and I think you know uh, James' point and my point is they still have debt service, they still have in- initial training expenses to absorb. Um, You're talking about the customer, yeah. the customers of yeah, these aircraft. If, if, yeah, yeah, the customers. If they had a seven eight seven sitting on a ramp, um, yeah, yeah, it's almost a wash. I think at the end of the day, and uh, I, I'm sure that uh, the airlines are sitting there, you know, just kind of holding their breath for the latest, the next uh, uh, recalculation in, in fuel prices. Uh, to whether they'll go up, go down, stay the same, whatever. It's not a business I would want to be in right now. Yeah, but I think uh, the, the, the real telling point is that we haven't been hearing any news about any uh, cancellations. That's right. Big, big mm-hmm. order book right. for right. that airplane. Right, but That's see, right. I think the big, I think the more interesting aspect is not from the from the buyer's perspective; it's from Boeing's perspective. Just from what I've read, and I have no inside information, and I'm obviously not an expert in this field. But just let me say that as a as a kind of an enthusiast. And, and someone who also hangs out with people who build airplanes, that's what kind of gives me the other perspective here. This fastener thing sounds, no pun intended, fascinating, all right? Um, yeah, yeah. They, they've apparently, they apparently have to rework a huge number of, of pieces. Um, there are, are huge uh, numbers of things that are being now sent back to subcontractors and to, exil- to subsidiaries because they have, to, they, they have to remove these fasteners to replace them. Apparently, it's not... When I first heard fasteners, I thought it might be rivets, and Apparently it's not rivets. It's like these bolts. No, it's nut plates. Yeah, and they and they fasten well, these things plates together. Nut plates is the big one. Yeah, and apparently they use the wrong I don't know um, length or, or material or something. And um, there there's real questions about the the strength of them and whether or not the the, the fasteners are actually damaging the the thing that they're fastening. And and as a result, they're having to send these things back. There's just a huge number of actual fasteners that have to be replaced now. And uh, well, here's something that quality control should have picked up on if they were the wrong size. A lot of people think no, that it's a sign of some endemic yeah. problem there. David, this is sort of your turf. What's going on out there? A lot of this well, happened in uh, Wichita, some, I believe, right? Right. Some of this comes back here to Wichita at Spirit Aerosystems, right. which is the now privately owned spinoff of what was Boeing's Wichita plant for decades. And... Uh, there's these long fasteners that join sections of the barrel. They're having some issues with the barrels, the fuselage barrels. Uh, they've got some of those that, uh, when they got checked, didn't meet spec. Uh, then they had these thousands and thousands of nut plates. Now, Spirit Aerosystems and Boeing up in Seattle doesn't get all of these types of fasteners necessarily from one single supplier. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, what happened with the net plates, for example, was uh, most of what came into Spirit Aerosystems uh, and went on the airplanes were fine. But they found in some post-production quality checks that one particular supplier had not coated them with any corrosion material properly. 
And they'd already been installed not only in uh, uh, 787 uh, Section 41 pieces, but in some of the 737 uh, Spirit Aerosystems builds the entire fuselage of that airplane and ships it up to Renton, Washington via a special railroad train. So they're having to go back through and recheck all these tens of thousands of nut plates that are already in barrels up in Renton and are on stuff that's ready to ship out of here and stuff that's still on the line and check the coatings to make sure that they don't have stuff slipping through with the bad coating on the nut plates. Yeah. Uh, the barrel fasteners are even more complicated. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, James, what and, were you going to say? Uh, well, I was going to ask, I, I, I'm, I'm assuming that a spirit carries insurance for something like this, because this is going to, would otherwise possibly put a company like that out of business. I mean, the cost of, the you know, getting sued for the, you know, the damages in addition to just redoing everything. I don't, I, I don't you know? think Boeing's going to be suing anybody over this, uh, and... Uh, the 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 atmosphere that I'm picking up here on it is one of a lot of mea culpa and cooperation, yeah, and taking it back That's to the original the, supplier and gratefulness. Tango Foxtrot question. And, and, and. So hello, off the grid. <laughs> okay, are you still there? I'm huh? here now. Uh, who have we did missed? You, did your internet get cut off? I don't. Apparently not, because I didn't do anything to make it come back. I think it just faint, plain dropped away. Um, so, uh, anyways, well, welcome back, Jack. Oh, thanks, thanks. Although, of course, from the listeners' perspective, you guys are the ones that disappeared because it's all being recorded at this end. Right. But uh, <laughs> so, anyways, hey, folks, we're back. Yeah. <laughs> Einsteinian physics yeah. rears its ugly head. Yeah. So, anyways, it's all relevant. Relative. So Boeing's got a fastener problem, and it's going to be interesting. I just think that's the, a bigger story than than you know they kind of they had their they had their work stoppage and the economy screwed up. But this fastener thing is kind of this lurking monster that uh, that you know. So, but it's not a, a part now that they've discovered doesn't that as designed won't work. They there was a, a screw no they up in the they for, for whatever reason used the wrong fastener. Uh huh. And right. Uh, right. Um, and, and now, so, and now, now they decided they have to go back and fix them, and uh, that's and then the rework just sounds mind-boggling. You could be pretty certain that uh, they have gone back through their records and back through their quality systems, and are make trying really hard to make sure that nothing going out the door and nothing out there that has the potential to have the wrong materials, whether it's the nut plates or the barrel fasteners, uh, is going to get out onto the flight line yeah. uh, how before many they have an opportunity to fix it. How many fuselages have they made so far? For the, for the, for the uh, Dreamliner? Yeah. Uh, man, I'd be hard-pressed to tell you because uh, they only rolled out one, and it's never flown, and production has continued uh, through all this time. Spirit Aerosystems finally stopped actually building and sh- shipping Section 41s. That's the cockpit cab section and a forward fuselage so, uh, back a few weeks ago because Boeing was behind from the strike. And until they can get caught up and start moving the line again, there was no point in sending more stuff up there. Uh, as far as the 737 is concerned, uh, they do about – the last number I saw was about 20-odd a month. 
So, but then this is a 737 problem. This really isn't a Dreamliner problem. I mean, well, we're talking about two different problems here. Yeah. And and I think one of them overlaps. Mm -hmm. The big barrel faster thing was strictly the Dreamliner, but the nut plate thing, I think, Mm -hmm. spreads across uh, multiple lines. Yeah. Because that's a much bigger problem, it sounds like, than than the affliction, you know, that, that. that on face value might, oh, new technology, and now we've discovered the fasteners aren't, I mean, that's not the story. Well, the, the, the nut plates themselves, I don't think, are in the flight critical parts of the uh, uh, holding things together that the barrel fasteners are. Mm-hmm. I may be wrong here, but I think a lot of those nut plates, the majority of those nut plates do things like hold on panels and fairings and uh, uh, access hatches and, and so forth. And uh, but, It's not, but not Jack, any less serious to deal with, but uh, it's in areas where they got people going. They've had people going back through and checking this for some time now. This just didn't rear its head in the last uh, couple of weeks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But, Jack, I mean, when you say this sounds fascinating, when all is said and done... It sounds rather prosaic in something that's, you know, really not affecting the this, the uh, the Dreamliner so much. No. Well, the stories I've heard saying that it is affecting the Dreamliner, and that's one of the reasons why the Dreamliner is delayed, is because they've got to go back and. But right. they it's only real, have one fuselage. But I think they've they, only have one fuselage. They've done, and they know that. Oh, we just had the wrong parts. Oh no, no, they've got more than one done. They've only rolled out one. Yeah, they've got they've got sense. multiple they've that are in progress, right? Yeah. 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 So, anyways, let's move on here. But that's an interesting story. I'm going to follow it. I don't know whether it's it's it merits you know keeping our listeners informed. But I I think it's pretty fascinating. Well, one thing nice about it: nobody flying GA has to worry about it. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what sort of caught my attention about Not it was that it's fast. that because I've watched so many of my friends building their their metal airplanes and it's sort of you know I, I've seen you know what goes in, into at least on a on a you know like an RV level you know what what's involved with all these fasteners and all this stuff and I just kind of scaled this up to a dreamliner going oh my gosh what this is just crazy <laughs> but anyways okay uh, moving on take a drink. Take Way back, maybe even into the early days of this podcast, we talked a lot about a story that we got us that really got our dander up. Uh, that was uh, regarding the tragic mid-air collision down in Brazil, uh, where a, a British airline, uh, excuse correction, a, a Brazilian airline 737 collided with a, a, a legacy, a Embraer legacy. Uh, and uh, resulting in loss of all on board the 747 and resulting in the Embraer uh, executing an emergency landing. Um, and then the, it's the largest ter- air accident in Brazil's history, yeah. 154 people. And then the U.S. pilots were taken up um, and were, were held in custody for quite some time. Uh, threats that they were going to be charged with um, with the deaths of all these folks on the uh, 737. Uh, ultimately, oh, the, they were charged. They were charged, but that they were going to actually be tried. Um, eventually, they were released and allowed to come home to the United States. There was a lot of talk about whether they were going to have to go back to face these charges. Um, I don't believe they ever actually returned to Brazil. Um, in the news in the last couple of days... Um, a Brazil judge has dismissed some of the charges against these U.S. pilots. 
Um, this is reading from a Reuters story. A judge in Brazil dismissed negligence. Negli- I can't even talk tonight. This is not the internet connection. This is me not being able to speak. A judge in Brazil dismissed negligence charges on Tuesday against two U.S. pilots accused of having contributed to Brazil's second worst air disaster when their executive jet collided in midair with a Brazilian commercial airliner in 2006. Um, and and I just I think it's just notable. I wanted to kind of update folks that this is where we are. I was I had been wondering recently what was the latest on this, and uh, apparently though this is uh, not all the charges. Uh, let's see now. There was more in this story. No, no, they still face other charges: uh, deactivating uh, a safety mechanism Oy. and presenting. Yeah. A faulty flight plan, which really I think is odd, that is are odd. still pending against. Now, when they uh, talk about deactivating, uh, Paul Palatino, Joseph Lepore. Yeah, when they say deactivating, this was this was the this was the allegation that they had what turned off the transponder or something like that, right? What was this? Correct. Yeah. Well, Correct. it's it's interesting here because they they as we had heard before, yes, there is some problem with the transponder, and here they say. Uh, in this story, Reuters says that, you know, they're accused of inadvertently turning off the legacy's transponder, quote, a security device that warns of an approaching aircraft, end of quote. Now, yeah, well, which okay. begs to me, I mean, at, so are they okay. saying, well, I mean, are we to read between the lines here that, that they're talking about some mode S form that they supposedly no, had, or no, are the, they talking the, about the linkcast? Because the linkage here, yeah, go ahead, David. The linkage here is... The linkage here is when the transponder is turned off or put in standby, the aircraft's traffic alert and collision avoidance system stops working. Right. It also is turned off automatically. That's not a either-or thing. They're put together. They link together. Right. And uh, so turning the transponder to off or the standby position deactivates the TCAS system as well. Uh-huh. Uh, and there's a, I think there's an, an even larger story here. There's quite a dispute, quite a difference of opinion between our National Transportation Safety Board and Brazil's Safety Investigation Board on on uh, the uh, allegation that the transponder is the uh, the transponder being offline for whatever reason is the is the uh, primary causative right. factor in this accident. Right. RNTSB maintains that the primary causative factor of this accident is first and foremost Brazil's air traffic controllers putting these two jets back by their command at the same altitude on the same airway at for, 180 degrees out and heading. For so over an hour. Head on flight plan. <laughs> yeah, for and over an hour. This is not something that just happened. Is there any dispute about the transponder as to whether it was on or off? Uh, it's pretty pretty much a uh, settled item that the transponder was either off or in standby mm-hmm. because those same controllers, that same uh, sector that put them on the same head, uh, opposite headings on the same airway at the same altitude, uh, kind of failed to act for about an hour on the fact that they weren't getting a mode C squawk. A couple of things. A couple of and, things. And there yeah, are okay. tapes, so I mean that has been that's evidence that has been preserved, I assume. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Jeb, go ahead. A couple of things. Um and I, I I did a lot of research on this at the time, so I'm I'm you know, I'm working from memory. But the um the legacy jet uh filed a flight plan uh, listing um, flight level 360 as its altitude. Uh, 
it uh, flew a couple of legs of the flight plan, turned to the northwest, and continued on its flight plan. It, it was not cleared to maintain a different altitude. Um, at about that time, the 737 departed whatever uh, location it was departing. Uh, it also was cleared to flight level 360 along the same airway, but in the opposite direction of the legacy jet. Uh, about this time, the legacy jet's transponder for all intent and purpose, I think, can best be described as became intermittent. Mm-hmm. Um, it was not a matter of it. It was off. It, it, it was off more than it was on, but it was on occasionally. And Brazilian ATC did see it occasionally, um, but it was off at the critical time when the seven three and the legacy uh, came in in uh, in close proximity. Um, and, and went on again um, very shortly after the collision itself. Um, whether or not, or, now this this uh, news this Reuters news story says thirty seven thousand feet. Maybe it was three seven zero instead of three six zero. I somehow remember three six zero, but that's okay. Um, the the thing that strikes me here is two or th- well two or three things that strike me. One. Brazilian ATC still, regardless of whether the transponder was off, intermittent, or broken, uh, still cleared two jets along the same airway in opposing directions at the same altitude. Period. Period. End of of discussion. Unbelievable. Okay. Secondly, um, Brazilian ATC knew or should have known that the legacy's transponder was intermittent or disabled yeah okay third um it's unconscionable it's in it's and i said this at the time when we were discussing this on on the podcast it's inconceivable to me that a professional flight crew in especially in unfamiliar airspace uh would switch off their transponder Mm -hmm. it's not going to happen and period yeah. So and what they tr- turning it on left, and back off, with, off and on, you know? Yeah, and and from so what you say, it, it it worked intermittently. So that yeah. Yeah, it's a new plane. Same sounds to me like an electrical exactly. problem. Exactly, it's a brand out. new airplane. It's basically on its maiden flight after um, um, after being delivered, um, and is on its way mm-hmm. to its new owners yeah. in the U.S. It's new home, and uh, you know the the. The problem here, and again, we've, we discussed this on the podcast at the time, too. The problem here is the severe blow that Brazilian aviation took right. to its pride in this accident. Um, the, the legacy jet is a Brazilian product. It's, it's entirely made in Brazil. The airliner uh, was a Boeing, but the airline was a Brazilian airline uh, and a, a very a very well-known, or at least within Brazil, well-known and, and uh, uh, well-respected carrier. Uh, and it was just, um, this is a, <clears throat> a point in time when uh, uh, Brazil as an economy, as a country, was looking 
you know, to take it, take what it felt was its rightful place among uh, uh, equals in the aerospace industry. And they do have some great products. They do have a broad range of products. This just literally took the wind out of their sails, mm-hmm. and they are just spitting mad. They don't know where to turn, and uh, it's going to take some time for them to to get over this one. Yeah. So, so that's well, an the update. NTSB has uh, created its uh, an, yeah. a, an appendix to the final report issued uh, Wednesday by Brazil's safety agency called SANIPA, uh, and they take exception to the. Uh, to the idea that the transponder problem was the primary cause yeah. and roll it back onto ATC. <clears throat> and, uh, you know, the NTSBA maintains that the conclusions don't adequately reflect efficiencies acknowledged in the body of the report, including, quote, a lack of timely ATC action after the legacy's loss of transponder and two way radio communication and, quote, features of the ATC software that may have aggravated deficiency in altitude clearance awareness. Wow. Uh, but there's just no, no evidence of the kind of uh, neglect that would warrant the charges. We really hope that the, uh, the, the whole thing will be resolved with the rest of the charges being dropped uh, because just, in, you know, it's... Is a comedy of mistakes on the right, part of right. ATCs. Um, moving on, because uh, you guys were giving me a hard time. I said we were going to make it at least halfway through this list before the podcast was down, and uh, and you know what? We're going to have to work at this to get halfway through this list. Let's uh, <clears throat> let's move on here. Um, we have been let's do some quick turns. We have been trying. Well, there's a couple here that are important. I want to spend a little bit of time on this, particularly this next one. Uh, I'm going to skip ahead a little bit yeah. here. Um, we have been trying for a few weeks now, actually uh, almost a few months now to get our our friend uh, Ed Boland, the president of the National Business Aviation Association, to come back and join us again here in the hangar. And he has expressed an interest in doing so. Doing so. He really wants to come on, but he's a pretty busy guy right now. Uh, yeah. Between the expo that they did a few weeks back and uh, all of his normal, uh, you know, his responsibilities, and now they are out there fighting the good fight here for this mess that's just happening. We talked, I don't know if it was last week or the week before, we talked about um, the 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 just the mess that happened in Washington when the auto industry execs went to Congress looking for money and suddenly everyone said, well, you flew your private jets down here. That's incredibly wasteful. Private jets jets are just not worth the money. And so everybody, us and NBAA and a lot of people went into overdrive. And we talked a lot about our feelings about how uh, business aviation really is cost effective and, and these stories were, were alarmist. And we don't necessarily need to retread that ground. But here's what I wanted to mention. So, um, and this is actually a little complicated because it kind of fell apart today. But up till today, um, Congress was was starting to craft um, a bailout bill, if you will, or a loan or whatever for the auto industry. They were going to give them some money to kind of help them do whatever they needed to do. The interesting thing to us is that apparently part of that bill included language limiting the extent to which the at least the auto industries could use business aviation the private jets and some people thought that that the bill was or or the the legislation was written in such a way that it might be interpreted to prohibit a lot of businesses from using 
business aviation. All right. Um, no. and, and this is just a mess. I mean, there are people who are saying that they yeah, need to really go back and revisit this. And let me invite Jeb to talk first about this because he sort of is our, our resident uh, uh, federal government guy and, and legislation guy. Do you know anything? I mean, now, now that I've said that, do you actually I, know anything about the, this? I've not read the bill. Um, I, I'm working strictly from what I've read in the media about the provision and and the most as is frequently the case on aviation issues, the Avweb story is uh, about the definitive version. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, as an aside, uh, I would not want to be at NBAA right now. Um, um, Ed and and his staff have a have a, a, a uphill uh, uh, uphill battle here in front of them. I think on this because. Um, they got two strikes against them going in the door. One is um, when you're talking about billions and billions of dollars to try to bail out a segment of the economy, um, no one wants to talk about your picky little problem, which happens to be business aviation, which is a concept almost as opposed to an industry. Um, the second problem they have is the uh, the fat cat uh, uh uh, perception um, that uh, if if someone tries to go to the wall to pull out of the bill um, this provision on business jets, it's going to be public and it's going to get people back uh, in their district or in their state asking why are you why are you uh, standing up for these fat cats who are abusing the privilege of riding on a corporate airplane. So it's a it's a vicious problem that NBAA has. Um, the, the the real problem from a policy standpoint, and and, and Boland's um, correct here in, in several ways, but from a policy standpoint, trying to prohibit the use of business aviation by one industry or one segment of the economy, or in fact only three companies. Um, I don't know what the the legalistic term for that is, but I believe that that would kind of sort of run afoul of the Constitution. You have to write legislation both as um, a, a um, uh, I guess a, a, an art, but also legalistically, so that it affects all people equally. And this type of uh, uh, provision, if in fact what I've read about it is is correct, um, basically targets one segment of one industry for special treatment, special being the operative word here. And that's something that should not be allowed to stand. Hmm. Well, the big big issue here is that, you know, it, it almost serves to delegitimize Yes. The use of a private aircraft by a corporation, any corporation, in the pursuit of greater business efficiency. Yeah. And, uh, but the precedent is a whole different thing. Right. The, uh, the, Hang on, James. The we'll come to you in a sec. That, the idea that use of these aircraft by company executives is strictly a perk for fat cats is mythology not borne out by facts. Right. Uh, In fact, there have been some studies that say quite the opposite. Well, the majority of people who travel on company airplanes on company business are middle-level and lower-level people, very often engineers, salespeople, technicians. Uh, Second, 
You're going to inject a high dollar when you've got a high dollar executive who's uh, you know being paid big bucks to run a company. Do you want to spend money as a shareholder? Do you want to be spending money for him cooling his heel in some airline terminal for two or three hours of wasted time right. when he can't do anything effective for your company, when he can't meet with his people? Uh, when, on the alternative, he can get on that private aircraft, meet with people en route, be safe and secure en route, get the meeting, get back the same day without also costing you know, the, the uh, hotel and meals that it might cost, very often will cost, because the trip will take so much longer on the airlines that you can't get back the same day. And the final thing, and I'll let this go back to J- uh, J- uh, James at this point, is that there's a lot of bloody places that these companies do business that the freaking airlines don't reach. Yeah. It's not like saying, oh, you can just take the, the, the human mailing tube in all instances, because they don't go there. Yeah. In a minute, I'm going to... I'm gonna, and, and that's just stupid. In a minute, I'm going to trot out my conspiracy theory, but first, James, what was your thought? Well, uh, I, I had a chance to talk at Boland uh, just days before this whole thing blew up, and uh, the subject of the conversation was the value of business aircraft, especially in a time of economic downturn. Turn. And we were talking very specifically about TravelSense, which is an NBAA computer program, costs several hundred dollars, and it, it's plugged into the airline databases. It's fairly sophisticated, but once it's set up by somebody who, who gets the program, they can say, I got to go here, 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 and here's what my business aircraft costs to use. Uh, what should I do? And it takes into account, unlike anything else, the actual value of the time of each passenger aboard. Right. And it puts it in side by side. And if you look at so many, you know, virtually going anywhere, and you have realistic values of these people and the costs that are incurred with overnight trips and everything else and the post-trip fatigue, it makes much more sense value-wise bottom line-wise, to use the corporate aircraft many times. And this is a travesty what happened there. Well, this latest time, blog everybody's blog concerned UCAS. about the economy. Yeah. What's that? My latest blog post on the UCAP homepage talks uh, at length about the uh, cost-value equation, the use of the TravelSense program, and how, yeah. and fact- with, most, with, a, with a few exceptions, most companies that use it stick to it as the uh, as the arbiter of whether to take right. well, the commercial flight. Mm-hmm. So let me trot out jet. let me trot out my conspiracy well, theory just, here. All right, okay, James, go ahead, finish your thought. Go ahead, James. James, go. Here we got a terrible economy. Everybody is concerned about manufacturing jobs going away. Here's an industry that's actually successful selling its products globally. It's more green. And any other industry out there, and they're trashing it in Congress. Right, and that's because here's my theory: this isn't yes. about this isn't about the cost effectiveness of business aviation. It doesn't matter that business aviation is in theater. fact an efficient way. It's more than theater. All right, this is the latest attempt. the The puppet master here is the airline industry. All right, they are ah. behi- they are behind the scenes here, and this is this their la- see. And you know what? I, I'm all almost sympathetic to them. I've been thinking more and more about this. The airline industry is the latest industry that is in its, this is maybe overstating it a little bit, but in its death 
throws. All right, we saw this recently with the recording with the record industry. All right, the record industry went on this scorched earth policy because they realized that their industry was becoming obsolete, and so they went nuts attacking their customers and everybody in sight because they were trying to save their lives. All right, and there are a lot of people who believe that it's just not going to happen because the record record industry is just the latest buggy whip industry. All right, um, the airline industry, I believe, finds itself in a similar kind of situation for a ver- variety of reasons. Um, that 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 fuel is becoming so expensive that um, distribute that that personal uh, uh, travel is becoming uh, more practical. That um, mass transit, other you know, like like trains and and so forth, they're becoming more. The airline industry, and then and then the government has put all this this security requirements on the airlines. The airlines are in their death throes in some ways. They are desperately in trouble, and so they are doing anything they can possibly think of to save their lives, right, their business lives. And and so we've seen this left and right. We see all these routine attacks. We've talked about this for the past two years, all the things that the ATA is doing to to try and beat down all the other aspects of aviation. The, you know, user fees and, and, and you know, the way they change the airspace and and now this, I think my, and this is totally, this is my conspiracy theory, behind the scenes, this is the airlines egging on, uh, uh, you know, whoever, the media, whoever will listen to say, oh, those nasty business aviation people, they shouldn't be doing this. Everyone should be flying the airlines instead. That's my theory. What do you think? The, uh, the audio, Jack, the audio I, I, executives, if they, if they screwed up at, at all on this, was uh, they should have known that they were going to be under a microscope. And yeah, it wouldn't but, have it wouldn't have sent nearly the message that it did if they'd all combined and taken one Gulf Stream down instead of three different large cabin jets. No, I don't uh, think we should even appro- I don't think uh, we should even visit that notion. I'm just because talking about I, from, from an image standpoint. From an, from an image, image standpoint, standpoint, I agree completely. That image po- image yes. is what's driving this right now, right. guys. Yeah, okay, what's that's what's true. James, let me, let me speak to. If, theory, if your theory is right, Jack, then yeah. it backfired because what happened? They took automobiles. <laughs> yeah, I know. Why? why yeah, they, they, right. wasted, they wasted about twenty hours per head in unproductive time behind the wheels of their hybrids. Yeah, let me, Jeb, let me speak Jeb, to, go ahead, and then to, we got to move on. Jack's, Jack's conspiracy theory. Um, if it was, if you're. If this issue was confined to transportation policy alone, I think you'd be on firmer ground. But this is in the uh, this is in the I don't know what what arena this is in, but it's it's larger than uh, just transportation policy. It is basically pop in, into popular culture at this stage, yeah. and um, in that arena. Uh, the airlines cannot play, have not been able to play, don't even know how to play. Witness um, their continuing um, um, uh, downward spiral in, in popularity and public approval. The one exception, of course, being Southwest well, and, and, par- and perhaps JetBlue. Um, but the punchline, the punchline though... Let me finish, Dave. Dave, let me finish. Sorry. The, sorry. the punchline is um, the the airlines don't wouldn't know how to take advantage of this if they if they wanted to. It, it's a great theory, and again, if this was something that was being played out solely within the transportation policy arena, where the airlines do have some 
participation, some clout, etc., uh, then I would be perhaps more persuaded. But given the, the level uh, at, at which this is being played and the rapidity with which it's being played, the airlines are just sitting back and watching. They're not really protecting. They're soaking it up. Yeah, they're soaking oh, it up. I've got in my ballpark a ball cap collection a really beautiful suede black ball cap with the white letters spelling out the word Avalar. <laughs> oh, I think and for those Avalar, of you who yeah. won't remember this, because it was you know it was like the uh, antique flash system, a flash in the pan. Avalar was a fractional ownership oh, okay. uh, program yeah. started by United Airlines. Ooh, okay. And what after, were they thinking? After blowing some millions of bucks on it, they decided that it wasn't in their best interest. Uh, they closed up shop and, and, and never really got it off the ground. Uh, and I wonder today how much better they might be doing if they had to run Avalar up and created the interlinks like they were promising their Avalar shareholders. Uh, today, all these years later, I guess it's six or seven years now, uh, that it's one of those little vestiges of the uh, how, how to you know create a small fortune in aviation, start with a large one, that I like to drag out and wear periodically. And my friends will look and say, what, what's Tavalar? <laughs> well, one, one more thing here before we leave this topic. Okay. And it's, it's, it's related to United Airlines. And if you think back to approximately that same period of time, earlier this decade, when United rolled out the Avalar concept, they also rolled out, rolled out another concept called TED, which yeah. was their, their low-cost, no-frills version of United Airlines. TED, of course, the joke became, what is TED? Well, TED is United without you and I. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and TED folded not long uh, uh, after it's trying to get All off right. the ground. Uh, but that's that's more indicative to me of the pathologic inability of an air carrier to develop a business plan or to have a business plan that is viable, much less develop a new one that that uh, takes advantage of the realities of, of this economy. And I think Jack is on to something that that uh, you know, as we get into I don't know uh, uh, transportation 3.0, for example, uh, that the airline business model is is pretty well screwed. Um, they're going to go down fighting though, and I wouldn't put it past them to take on GA in this fashion or business aviation in this fashion. That's what I think's happening. But in this case, in this case. Um, It'd be like a gnat trying to screw an elephant. It, it ain't going to happen. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy, but that gnat's going to have a good time trying. Well, you, um, you know, the old joke, okay. the, gnat, the gnat's going to town you know, on the elephant. The elephant doesn't know anything about it. The elephant's walking through the jungle, stubs its toe. Yeah. The gnat says, suffer, bitch. <laughs> Okay, moving on. Moving we'll have on to here. probably yeah. cut that. No, that's no, okay. no, that's staying. That's staying. Um, <laughs> hey, listen. So, uh, speaking of, all right, so, I don't know what the segue is here. Speaking of stupid ideas, um, <laughs> I don't know if that makes any sense or not. Uh, David, tell us what's going on in Nevada, because this is just 
this is just another example of something. David. Well, earlier this year, yeah. there, I, I believe it was earlier this year, yeah, uh, back in August, uh, there was an unfortunate crash of a Velocity amateur-built aircraft that had departed from North Vegas. Uh, and it it's, wasn't the only incident that North Vegas has ever suffered, or the only accident. But for some reason, this one just got in the craw of the uh, uh, local airport manager, the director of aviation, oh, good old Randall H. Walker, uh, who has petitioned the Clark County Board of Commissioners to pass a ban against experimental aircraft operating from North Las Vegas and probably the other airports, too. I have to look a little farther. Uh, And earlier this month, about a week ago, Nevada's Clark County Board of Commissioners unanimously approved a resolution calling on the state's congressional delegation to introduce a legislation that would remove federal authority over the nation's civilian air space so that they can ban one category of aircraft. Uh, aviators, friends, you don't need to look it, it very far to see how, how this could turn out if they got their way. Yeah. Oh, you're only flying a piston airplane? Oh, we can't have you here. You guys aren't professional pilots. Oh, only flying a turboprop? Oh, we only want jets here. Only flying a two-seat airplane? Well, our restaurant doesn't make as much money. you got to fly a four-seater here. Uh, it goes up in the very heights mm-hmm. of stupid government tricks and Nevada Clark County Board of Commissioners, you guys need to check the federal uh, the uh, act that created the Federal Aviation Administration. Uh, is if you think that they're going to give up, or Congress is going to want to let them surrender control over the airspace, so that we can not just have fifty different sets of rules, but one for every little penny at pet pissant county board of commissioners own rules dictating who comes and goes from airports uh i got news for you kiddies your airline service is going to be in real trouble in a lot of parts of the country it gets even worse than that um the the accident in question the velocity that david mentioned uh was a um not only an experimental obviously but it was also on a, a test flight after installation of a new or, or a, um, uh, an initial installation of a turbocharger. The flight was being conducted by a, a pilot um, chosen by or, re, or employed by or, or uh, uh, requested by the turbocharger manufacturer. And I don't know enough, I don't, I don't know anything more about the actual, actual accident than uh, um, in, in, was, in fact, engine and or turbocharger related. But apparently, North Vegas has a gentleman's agreement or, or even a, perhaps a local rule that initial flights of experimental aircraft won't be conducted there. Um, I don't know how they enforce it. I don't know the exact nature of it. Uh, the punchline, though, is initially they were saying that um, this flight was a violation of that rule. That's not correct because the aircraft had flown before. Uh, it was flying for the first time with this particular turbocharger. Um, now what the city fathers and this airport manager want to do is either uh, expand their little local rule to encompass all experimental aircraft 
uh, or some some other uh, measure. They clearly, and, and Dave is exactly correct. This is uh, um, teetering at the top of a, a very slippery slope here. And uh, this is, um, I, I, I'd be surprised if it went any further than this, this thought piece stage. But uh, even the airlines should be exercised about this because um, the carrier that's <laughs> operating ATRs and SOBs today is going to want to operate RJs tomorrow. And they're always somewhere going to run afoul of this kind of parochialism. We have a national air transportation system and a commerce clause in the Constitution for reasons. And this is a prime example of why we have them. Well, and you know, there is no limitation on the breeding habits of NIMBYs. No. So you know that they show up everywhere. That's right. Now, there are a number of small airlines op operate from North Las Vegas. Uh, scenic Air. Uh -huh. They do Grand, Grand Canyon Air. Uh, they do tour flights out over the uh, lake in the Grand Canyon. Uh, and uh, imagine, you know, if uh, some of the uh, local citizenry got up, back up and said, oh, no scheduled airlines here. They cause noise. You know, you, you, we hear that noise from, from uh, uh, McCarran down the road. We can't have that here. Next thing you know, you got all this tourist traffic and all those jobs going away. Uh, it's just, uh, you know, it can't happen, folks. And I'm sorry. I am sorry. Clark County Board of Commissioners, nobody is ever happy about a, a crash into a neighborhood. Uh, just ask the folks in San Diego right Absolutely. now. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But, uh, You're going to find it, very few calls for um, um, uh, Mirabar to be closed. But uh, the idea that uh, Congress should give every little fiefdom, every little county commission or city council or, or uh, uh, district airport authority the right to pick and choose who can come and go from airports and how come they go from it. Uh, Boy, that's one that's going to catch on so big that we won't have any air commerce in this country, let alone GA problems. That's so, right. that's you right. know, James, you guys, you, to... you need to go back and smoke something different. Yeah. James, did you want to drop in? You've kind of faded in the distance there, James. you have anything to say on this subject? I think the boys have said it all. Okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, shout outs. David, uh, tell us about... Are we, closing, uh, are we closing shop here? I think we are. I think we're well... I've lost track of where we are here, but I think we're well beyond our allotted time we're this about, evening. We're about uh, 75 minutes in, yeah. I think. Yeah, so uh, so I think we're, we're getting to the end. We've got a bunch of things here that I've sort of categorized as shout-outs. David, tell us about uh, Bruce Bohannon and his airplane. Oh, Bruce Bohannon. Anybody that's ever met him will remember him. Oh, yeah. uh, years, for years, he campaigned a uh, Formula One airplane on the circuit called Pushy Galore. Now, I want to make sure that that was enunciated correctly. Pushy Galore. <laughs> yeah. Uh, There's an age uh, number of world records. He retired it. It went into a museum, and he built a new airplane called the Flying Tiger. Uh, it's a highly modified RV-4 designed to set primarily altitude and time to climb records, of which it set 30 mm -hmm. over the years, starting, I think, about 2001. Uh, well, Bruce has now retired uh, a good old flying tiger. Uh, it will no longer be campaigning. It's going to retire with its 30 records intact. Uh, 
know Bruce and his lovely wife, Donna, well. Uh, I've enjoyed many an hours uh, been in an elbow and shooting the fat with them. Lovely people. Uh, congratulations on a hell of a run for the Flying Tiger. We can't wait to see what you get into next, Bruce. That's right. That's right. Here, here. Yeah, I've got to, to cover a number of those uh, record-setting flights, and he was always gracious. Uh, I hear he's a wonderful raconteur. I didn't get to spend as much time off hours as I'd like, maybe in the future. Well, can yeah. you say raconteur on the air? I don't know, man. <laughs> that's, that's, that's almost too many vowels for us. But uh, uh, Bruce, Bruce, you know, I don't know him. He doesn't know me. I, I know him well enough to nod, and he probably would uh, not even uh, nod back. But uh, uh, the times I have been around him, uh, he and Dona both are just top flight people. Uh, very enjoyable and uh, and a lot of fun and, and very professional at the same time. So right. um, more power to him. That's right. Um, I've got a couple of shout-outs here, but do uh, any of you got any others out there? Uh, Jeb, James? I got one. Go ahead, James. Yeah, I got one. James, go ahead. I'd like to shout-out to all the folks uh, of Tangier Island. For the last 30-some-odd years, the Tangier Island Holly Run we're uh, coming out of, I guess, it's Chesterfield, Maryland, has brought holly boughs and greenery to the folks on that isolated island in the Chesapeake Bay. A very interesting to pl- uh, place to visit. Yes, it is. And very isolated. And uh, they've done some runway work, and the runway apparently is not completely cured, so they had to call off the Holly Island, uh, the uh, Holly Run to Tangier Island. And oh so just want to send a shout-out to all the folks from the GA community. Wish we could come and bring you some more greenery, but our thoughts are headed your way this year anyway. Yeah. Well, I, I, I knew that they had a new runway, and I hadn't heard about the Holly Run being uh, postponed or, or delayed. Um, mm-hmm. uh, that's a bummer. Yeah. Too bad. Too bad. That's a, yeah, it's really yeah. pity. The Holly Run is, is basically a uh, it's a Christmas holiday event. Um, a bunch of GA pilots show up at, at fly, the fly in fresh holly and and some gifts and things like that for the kids on this island. And as James described it, it is it is absolutely correct. It's an island in the middle of the Chesapeake, at the lower end of the Chesapeake. It's uh, in in Virginia, uh, and the only way to get to it is either by boat or slash ferry or by air. There's no roads connecting it. Cool, and it's quite yeah. quite a little. Uh, Quite the little uh, um, um, picturesque island. little island. Yeah, like great food, great crab cakes. Uh, uh, the runway's long been overdue for a make, for a uh, a uh, facelift, and I'm glad it finally got it. So, uh, well, here's hoping that even without the holly run, they have a holly jolly holiday. That's right. Oh That's man, right. I am going to hurt you. <laughs> well, hurt me. Speaking of crab cakes, uh, I wanted to mention that. Uh, our, the restaurant section in our wiki has become such a hit that I did some work over the weekend and I sort of reformatted it and spun it out into its own section um, and made it a little and added some features and so now I urge people to take a look at the new section on our website uh, slash restaurants where we now have uh, you can now search them uh, by by uh, you know by anything by restaurant name you can look at uh, look at them by state you can can uh, view them on a map to see where how they're scattered all over the uh, the U.S. Uh, and hopefully we'll do some other things there too uh, as we as we cool. grow and enhance the restaurant section. Last time I looked, uh, do, and any of you have it on their screen now. How many how many restaurants in how many states are we up to now? 
I don't, I don't have it on All my right, screen. I'll have it in just a second here. Let me see here. I do this, we do this, uh, and we do this. Right there. We are up to 84 restaurants in 27 states. Wow. Yeah. Wow. So uh, there's just a lot, a lot of information there, and uh, it's amazing. It's incredible. Yeah, and <laughs> and we encourage everybody to add your favorite airport restaurant to the uh, to the list, so that we'll all have a, a reference to figure out where we want to go flying next weekend or the weekend after that. So that's the uh, the UCAP restaurants list. Uh, the next thing I wanted to mention is, and this is not on the list, but I'm going to surprise you. So I heard, I got email from uh, the uh, the the head of the uh, New Hampshire Aviation Association recently. They are very involved um, in something that we've talked about on the podcast in the past, and that is the Alton Bay Ice Airport, which is a airport that comes to life uh, for a few right, months right, each right. winter. Um, the Ice Airport is in trouble this year, um, partly because the uh, the the same uh, FBO that I was renting airplanes from, Scott. Uh, uh, Ossipi, uh that uh, has gone out of business and thus I can't rent airplanes there anymore is also the the FBO that was uh, behind managing and, and uh, maintaining oh. the ICE airport. So as it stands right now, fault. there's no one to uh, to uh, manage and kind of be the ringleader behind the ICE airport this winter. So they are searching wow. for someone who wants to be the airport manager of the Alton Bay ICE airport. And so, um, any Zamboni owners out there? Yeah, right. So <laughs> if if you're in the Hampshire area and uh, you're interested in uh, being able to put Wait, airport so manager on your resume, yeah, you should contact the folks. So what they uh, go ahead, Dave. I was just going to say, what they need is a rank leader. <laughs> oh, oh, man. You are really that. working him tonight. Uh, I, I was even considering this, too. You think I should go ahead and be, I should become the airport manager at Alton Bay Ice Airport? You know, I don't know if you, yeah. if I, I don't know if I ought to, if, if anyone ought to be allowed to be the manager of an airport that I would, that you would be afraid to land on. That's just like spooks me, the <laughs> idea of landing on ice. We saw some videos of this a couple of years ago. It looks like quite a, I don't know. I, uh, well, the, the, well, the video that we saw. Well, your off airport landing of the week if you wanted one. Yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> there you go. What we saw was of an airplane that perhaps uh, its pilot should have chosen another day to fly. But uh, uh, <laughs> that's right. And my final give, give it a whirl. You know, throw your hat in the ring. I know, really. Yeah, I could be. I could. Yeah, fly. I could. At the very yeah, least, I could sure. drive the plow truck right and keep the runway clear. You know, or, or uh... it sure looked like an ice time. Uh, oh, it was nice while it lasted. Finally, and all kidding aside, we want to send out kudos uh, and a great, great uh, uh, at a girl to. Uh, we talked about this last week on the podcast. Carol Ann Garrett and Carol Foy were in the process a week ago of uh, doing a around the world flight in the, in a Mooney uh, to benefit uh, uh, ALS research, and uh, they safely completed that flight this afternoon. They landed, I believe, in Orlando, Florida, and uh, and uh, thirty. Just quite an accomplishment to have flown all the way around the world. They use this cool uh, in a booty uh, of all things. And, <laughs> there you go. They uh, they use. This I course. got a chance to meet Carol after her first one. She's great. I'm glad she did it again and was safe. So our hats yeah. are off to them for uh, for uh, both a, an amazing aviation feat and for supporting such a such a noble cause. Um, and they and, set a world record. I hope we noted that. No, I didn't note that. <laughs> but did they really? I, I, I think the the comment was made that she was flying a J model last week. I thought she had a two thirty one. Myself. Uh huh. 
they uh, I'm just trying to look at their website here. Their website is um, alsworldflight.com, and uh, there's a lot of information okay. about the flight. And uh, um, so, anyways, congratulations to them. That's my shout-outs. You got any others before we wrap this thing up? That does it for me. Yeah, you okay. t- you stole mine actually. Oh, really? I love it when that happens. thank you guys it's always a pleasure to get together with you james winbrandt of course is an aviation is an aviation not gonna take this abuse much longer (laughs) he's an author and aviation journalist uh he's uh, written a lot of uh, great stuff about aviation and other things as well you should just google his name or search amazon for his his works thanks james we love we love having you here thanks it's so great to be with you guys again thank you dave higdon is an aviation kiss the cat for us <laughs> will do we're gonna have to get an update on your cat situation one of these days but uh not oh, tonight sure. not tonight not tonight david higdon is an aviation <laughs> photographer he's also a, a senior editor for kit planes magazine and the u.s editor for london's world aircraft sales magazine you can learn more about dave at kitplanes.com or avbuyer.com slash world aircraft sales Jeff Burnside is an aviation journalist currently serving as the editor-in-chief of Aviation Safety Magazine. You can learn more about Jeb and his work at jebburnside.com or aviationsafetymagazine.com. I am Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a new media producer. And uh, you can learn more about me and my work at jackhodgson.com or aroundthefield.net. And uh, as always, a big thanks to uh, Jeff Scoffrey-Jet Ward for all his great work on our show notes. Also to the many of our listeners, uh, particularly to Mike Morgan for doing the show opening disclaimer clips. By the way, we got a couple of new ones. I'm not going to run them for a couple more weeks, but we got two new ones that are just hilarious. I haven't shared them with you guys yet, but I'll, I'll put them up so you can listen to them. They're absolutely hilarious. I think I think somewhat inspired. I think somewhat inspired by by the great work that Mike did. Uh, I think they're a little bit of a competition now for for clever clever uh, uh, ways of presenting our disclaimer. Keep them coming, folks. We eat them up. Absolutely. And don't forget that you can visit with all of us all the time at the Uncontrolled Airspace website. You can read the blog. You can view the forums. You can check out the wiki. That's at uncontrolledairspace.com. So, David, what were you going to say? I was going to say, live longer, enjoy longer holidays. Go fly, because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Absolutely. Anyways, that's enough talking. Let's go flying. <laughs>